Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, episode 124, and Dennis Bernstein, you are now back in uh, Southern California. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. I tested negative leaving the country and coming back, so uh, a, for me, a fun road trip, John. Edmonton, Calgary, and even Winnipeg. For the people who say I wouldn't have a good time in Winnipeg spending two nights there, I had a great time. Maybe I found the right joints, like High Steakhouse and Earl's Kitchen and Bar, but it was a lot of fun, a very productive road trip for the Kings. Uh, and John, coming off that uh, shootout loss, the first game in Edmonton, I figured there's no way they're going to win that game in Calgary, and they found a way, and then did what they had to do in Winnipeg. But now this team can't find ways to win at home, and it's uh, look, it's not troubling because Vegas is not playing like a playoff team. When you watch that game, they lost in at home to Vancouver five to one. I know everybody's hurt, and Pacioretty's not there, and Stone's the heart of the team, and Leonard's got multiple injuries, but that's not a playoff team. So they still can, you know wins the games they have to win. But this next road trip is going to be very challenging, but they do play better on the road. Okay, so let me react to a couple of those things there, Dennis, because first of all, uh, I really don't want to hear about uh, the other teams because if I'm the LA Kings, if I'm Todd McClellan, I'm only yep. worried about my club. They and control their says. own destiny, which yep. is what we've been talking about here for a while, and they still do. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, by the way, your your tests coming back the way they did, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. People have been saying for years that you're negative. So <laughs> it, it just confirmed what we've already been reading on Twitter. We'll get on that later, John. I have, <laughs> okay. a, I have a whole segment on that later. <laughs> Wonderful. We'll save that for the third period. Yeah. And then uh, I, I was saying this to Boomer the other day on, on Mayor's Minutes that I, I be careful what you wish for, right? Because there's a part of you, I think, not you, but I mean, there's a part of thinking that if you look, watch the Kings and you study them and you understand that they're a much better team on the road this year, you go, you know what? Maybe the three C is not, or the third, you know, the third sl yeah. uh, slot, I should say, not the three C. I'm, I'm too worried about the lineup, but the uh, the third spot and the Pacific Division standings might be a little bit better than finishing second because maybe they don't need that extra game at home in a seven game series, given how strong they are on the road this year. But I always say when it comes to the playoffs, man, be careful what you wish for. Don't wish for an opponent. Don't yeah. wish for anything. Just right. get in there and play your games. Yeah, great point. But they, they're far worse at home than on the road. <laughs> and, and to me, so you they, are going to wish for it then. You're going to wish for them to yeah, be the road just, team. Just the team just plays, but they're, they play tighter. They don't make the same mistakes on the road that they do at home. You know, like uh, Kaliev coming off the ice on the first goal and a line change. He, he's watching Connor McDavid, the best player in the, in the world, whiz right by him. He goes in and get, gets a, you know, a really nice goal. So to me, just enough mistakes, John to lose games and maybe it's just the luck of the draw makes in it. but you're right about one thing like it is still in their hands and that's mm -hmm. what Todd has said when we talked to him about the playoffs is that it's in our destiny so I asked him specifically about that 
uh, Vancouver Vegas game? Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched part of it. And what did were you pleased with the outcome? He goes, it doesn't matter. It's in our hands. He's right. So he's, he's yeah, and he's absolutely right. But you want a little bit of a cushion. You want these teams to lose when you when Vegas plays Arizona. You want Arizona to win. I don't care if you're a human being. You want that to happen. Yes, you need to win games, but you still want a little bit of a cushion, which you know they really have. It's a razor's edge, but I think at game with twenty or twenty five games left, John, we thought it was going to be razor's edge anyway. They weren't going to breeze into the postseason. Well, I think a couple of things there too, DB. Yeah. No, you 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 do want that cushion, of course, but uh, at the same time, you also, if you're Todd McClellan, don't want to give another team any sort of you know bulletin board material as well. Sure, so you you know, and you also don't want to back into the playoffs either. You want to go in with a little bit of confidence, and you want to go in with a little bit of momentum, and that's kind of from a scheduling standpoint. And I know strength of schedule doesn't mean as much in the NHL as it does in let's say the NFL. But sure. when you look at this this road trip and you look at the balance of the ten games or so that are left on the season, they're gonna they're gonna have a couple of tough uh, a few games here coming up. They're yeah. gonna be tough, just like this week was with Edmonton and Calgary. Yeah. And then after that, theoretically, you get a couple with Chicago. You get some games against Anaheim. You get some games against Seattle, and they should be able to go in hopefully with some momentum. And then you also hopefully get some injured players back, uh, yeah. and that should give them some positivity if everything works right. But again. It's it's in their hands. They still have to do it. As Seattle uh, showed them just a couple of weeks ago at home on that stinker on that Monday night. We need to come up with a name for that game. It was yeah. like the Monday massacre. Um, <laughs> it, it it was it was horrific. I mean, literally, Dennis. It was horrific. Yeah, they gave away free points that they can't afford to give away. If you're yeah. Tampa Bay, you can take a night off. Yeah. If you're the L.A. Kings, you can't take a night off uh, because you know. Too many of those nights off, and, and your summer is going to come a lot quicker. And when you look at strength of schedule, John, I, I wrote it in my column. Yes, the, it's front-loaded, more difficult games now, but guess what? Except for Columbus, they've lost to every team on the schedule this, this year, including Anaheim, including Seattle. Now, granted, Anaheim's a different team, and including Chicago, the, the recent shootout loss that they had. So, again, it's not going to be a breeze. But I think it's iron sharpens iron, right, John? You, want, you said you, you have to play better because you need to play better when you go into the postseason. Because it's going to be Edmonton, it's likely going to be Edmonton, and those games are close. All these games with Edmonton are going to be close. But I agree with you that um, strength of schedule is important. But you know, you can't have a game like like you can't play any game like you did the Seattle game of the remaining nine because that that will be a big red flag. And here's the thing, Dennis. Over the last couple of seasons, I would say probably the last four or five seasons. I mean, this this probably even goes back to pre Todd McClellan. The the Kings have a tendency to play up or down to the level of competition. Mm -hmm. uh, that they're, that they're dealing with. And, you know, look yes. at the teams they've beat this year beaten yep. and you go, Oh, that's exciting. And then you look at the teams they've lost to, and you just want to smack your head against a brick. I mean, it's terrible. So Agreed. you, again, you can't take a night off. I mean, we're, we're kind of beating a dead horse at this point. Uh, you, you can't take a night off. You can't take any of those teams down the stretch for, for granted. You know, that, uh, you know, like you said, Anaheim's a different team. They're much younger now than they were before. Yeah. They're going to get one final look at, uh, at Getzloff. I think if I remember the schedule correctly, He'll have two final games uh, remaining after the Kings play the Ducks. Mm -hmm. So it'll be his third to last game. Um, we did a big segment on Ducks uh, in the last uh, episode, and everybody <laughs> loved it. So let's, of course, spend a couple minutes right there. Uh, Ryan Getzloff, DB, Hall of Famer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I don't understand all these people saying, like, he's a potential Hall of Famer. Man, if Ryan Getzloff is not a Hall of Fame player, what are we doing here? Stanley Cup, two Olympic gold medals, one, <laughs> I think, I, I, what hasn't he done? Thousand games, thousand points, all points. with one franchise. I mean, it, it's just, Thanks. it's ridiculous. Captain. I mean, it's just, come on. 
close the Hall of Fame if he's not getting in. That's, who's <laughs> That's what I'm in. saying. That's what I'm saying. I don't. I don't 100%, get it, John. Absolutely. What's your um? Do, do you have one Ryan Getzloff memory? Mm, no. Do you? You know, I do, but it's probably not what most Ducks fans would would think of in terms. Of, it's not like a big goal or a big game or whatever. My 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 lasting memory of Ryan Getzloff is him. Uh, in the dressing room, because it's always one of two things. It's either him in the world's biggest hurry to get out of there and doesn't want to talk yes. to anybody, and he's very surly, or it's the old Justin Williams, um, you know, put my put my leg up on the bench. Uh, what what is, what is the uh, <laughs> Captain Morgan? <laughs> captain Morgan, thank you. You knew yes, exactly yes. where I was going. I know where you're going. Uh, yeah. It's, it's the, the, it's the captain. Yeah. yeah, it's the Captain Morgan stance, and he's going to hold court, and he's going to talk to you for 20 minutes. You know. And he's going to praise every guy in the room, even the guy yes. that only played three minutes. So <laughs> that's my lasting memory. It's it, it's it's the tale of the two Getzloffs, I guess. Yeah. You know what? I do. I take that back. I have one more lasting memory right. uh, during the. Uh, by the way, this is meant with no disrespect to Ryan Getzloff. I just told you he was a Hall of no, Famer. No. So, yeah, totally. so so stop adding me right now, you're Ducks fans. Uh, th um, the other lasting memory would be during the pandemic. You know, the NHL uh, media, yeah. NHL PR. <laughs> Uh, set up all of the these these conference Zoom conference calls for us, and <laughs> guess he's doing his like at a chicken coop in his coop backyard, exactly. <laughs> and the conversation completely went off the rails. So exactly. that's that's what people were taking away. He's building a chicken coop back. Yeah, there, but, but but I agree. So that, I think it's the the first Ryan gets off is the one I'm used to, the one that's smirking at me when I'm asking a question that right. he, he may not like, and I'm, he's going to move on from there. But yeah, but clearly a Hall of Famer, and glad to see him play his entire career with the franchise, unlike uh, unlike Corey Perry who had to move on and certainly has moved on to, and had more success, but it's good to see him step away. He could have continued playing, but I think, John, I think the way this season, and remember, John, beginning of the season, people were saying playoff team, oops, not so much when you lose 11 in a row. So I think had they been closer and or had they gotten into the postseason, maybe he would have played one more, but it, the way the season's ending, he, he's going out at the right time. This and and again, I think it's a first battle fame uh, nomination or, or selection for Ryan Gaslav. Yeah, for sure. And you're going to see a couple of big time players in Southern California in the coming years that are going to be having yep. similar decisions, whether you're talking about Dustin Brown or other players, it, it we're getting to that point where yes, uh, that question. draft class and those draft classes around that time period are, are getting a little bit long in the tooth. And uh, it's unfortunate because it's the, the passing of the guard. And we're seeing that in San Jose as well with Doug Wilson stepping down yep. as the general manager. Uh, DB, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. Uh, we're going to have a guest, Dave Starman. We'll talk yeah. about college hockey, the Kings prospects, but on the other side of that, we'll get back to the third period. We're going to play our own game of Frozen Four, all related to the LA Kings. And I'm going to throw some hot topics at you, DB. So we'll take a break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back, second period. We are excited for our guest today. I mean, we're always excited for our guests, but today is a gentleman that I've been trying to track down here for quite some time uh, in Dave Starman. When I think of college hockey, he's one of the first names to come up. So Dave, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. 
Well, you are the college hockey expert. I mean, you're, you're the voice of college hockey as far as I'm concerned. So uh, we're very excited to have you on, and we want to talk about some LA Kings prospects and things like that, and you're doing radio work for the Frozen Four. It's, it's an exciting time of year when it's time for the Frozen Four, and especially with all the fans back in the building and everything. I mean, are the juices flowing? Are you pumped up right now as we record this on Friday between the, uh, the, the, the final four, the Frozen Four, and then the national championship game, I guess, coming up on Saturday? It is. It's great having people back in the building, and and you've got four really good teams here. Like this was a, this was an interesting grouping because you can make a case for all four teams as to why they could have won this thing. And I think yesterday's games proved out a lot of what each team really was. And I thought they all. I thought Denver played as advertised. I thought Minnesota State played as advertised. I thought for for parts of the game you saw what Michigan could be and I mean this team won't stay together but you, you think to yourself this team stayed together for another year you know, what a special team it could turn into and and then you look at Minnesota who just just really didn't have a great night but they didn't have a great night a lot of it had to do with what Minnesota State did to them mm-hmm. and it's and very similar to what Minnesota State did to Harvard you know it's just they they've got an ability to throw a wet blanket over you know over a stiff breeze kind of thing and and that's what they did to Minnesota but I I just I love what I saw yesterday. I thought it was a really good advertisement for what college hockey is. Now, of course, the podcast here is Kings of the Podcast. We talk a lot about LA Kings at the NHL level, but also on Mayor's Manor, my other part-time gig, uh, we do a lot with the prospects. And so from an LA Kings prospect uh, perspective, things lined up beautifully. Now, I knew it was never going to happen, but it at least potentially could have happened that the Kings would have had uh, a prospect in on all four of the teams that made the Frozen Four because when the bracket of 16 came out, each of their prospects were put into a different quad. So it didn't work out. It was great that Harvard ended up making the cut, but they ended up not making the Frozen Four. It was great that UMass Lowell ended up making the cut, but they didn't end up making the Frozen Four. And St. Cloud didn't make it either. And uh, David Rennick, we can get into that a little bit. And he's he's scheduled to make his AHL debut as a backup uh, uh, tonight, actually. But Brock Faber ended up being the only hope for the LA Kings fans in terms of the Frozen Four. And like you said, it didn't, it didn't turn out uh, in, in, in favor of the Gophers. Where, where do things go from here? We know they have a great recruiting class that's coming in next season. Uh, things are still on, they're on the up and up for the Gophers. Is that right? There is no question that this program is headed in the right direction with Bob Mosco as its head coach, and Ben Gordon and Garrett Raboyne as, as his assistants. This is... This is a, a staff that two-thirds of it were at St. Cloud State. You know, Actually, they brought Rennick in there. They were at St. Cloud State, and they built a program based on some older players that, that didn't run right out the door after year one or year two, and they were able to build a culture and a core, and they succeeded with, with some smaller, undersized, but overskilled players, and they were always great in goal. And, and I, just, I like what Bob is doing at Minnesota because he's doing it the same way that he did it at St. Cloud. Now, he's got more access to the high-end first-round pick kind of player than he did at St. Cloud because St. Cloud was still emerging as this top-notch program that he built it into and Brett Larson has continued it to be. But I think at the University of Minnesota now, they, they have gotten out of that that mantra or, or that kind of that vibe of players coming there for a year just to buy some time and then leave. Mm-hmm. Like they're getting really good players that are going to come in for two, at least two or three years and and some of the really good ones will stay for four and, and become real good seniors. And I think that if you can play in a program, if you're an NHL team and you can have your prospects playing in a program where they're playing with some older players that can mentor them 
into the, the, the back end of their college career and then into their pro career, you're pretty happy with where they are. The University of Minnesota is going to be that program. And St. Cloud State for a while there was a direct feeder system for the LA Kings. They might have signed, uh, signed them up as a minor league affiliate with the number of players that came through that program on their way into the LA program. And you look at guys now like Blake Lazat, who is on the team, and there have been a number of other players um, over the past you know six or ten years. Looking at Minnesota now, uh, Brock Faber. Give it, give us a kind of a scouting report on Brock Faber. We've watched him a lot. We've talked about him a lot on the program. But, of course, that comes with a little bit of, a, of an L.A. lens. Even at the World Junior Championships, we've uh, covered Faber. But give us your perspective on, on Brock Faber as, you know, a young defenseman who's on the verge, whether it's this summer or next summer, of turning pro. Oh, I really like the kid. He, he plays a very steady, solid game. He's got a lot of maturity, a lot of composure to him. And, the thing that, that I really like about him is the way he skates. He's He uses his feet to defend. He can move pucks quick. He makes plays. but And when he, in terms of making plays, like he will be much more involved in the offensive side of the game than he used to. He, he's, he really is an elite skater. He's not, he's not the kind of skater where he's going to come off ice and his jersey's just going to be flapping behind him. Like That's more Lacombe than it is Faber uh, on the Minnesota back end, but I, I love his vision. I think he's got a really good offensive stick. He's made some plays over the last year that, that really open your eyes to the fact that he can beat somebody one-on-one with a puck and, and then make a secondary play. He's, he's big. He's strong. He's, he's only going to continue to get you know man strength, and I think that's going to help him out as a pro. But I think, I think his game translates to the, to the NHL level mm-hmm. because of the fact that he can keep it safe, he can keep it simple, but he's got really good feet that help him defend, and he's getting harder to play against. Now, he's not the same player as Mikey Anderson, but from a timeline perspective, I I draw a lot of parallels. I see a player who's going to come pretty well-rounded already when he leaves college, even if he left right now and he turns pro over the next week, let's say. Uh, Minimal time needed in the American Hockey League. We saw Mikey Anderson uh, come out of Minnesota Duluth and basically a couple of months in the AHL, and boom, he's an NHL player and hasn't looked back since. Could you see Faber on sort of the same type of a timeline where he very quickly gets, gets into the NHL? I will tell you this, the, the number one thing that you need to make sure that you have as an NHL organization, if you're going to pull players out early, and especially defensemen, because defense is a late matriculation position. If you're pulling guys out early, you'd better make sure your development system is prepared to handle them and that you've got a plan for them once they get to the American Hockey League. And I'm a big believer that most young defensemen that come out of college, unless you're in that top 5% of your birth year, and you can make a case that favors in that neighborhood, but I, I firmly believe that no matter what, you really need to have those kids go down and play in the American Hockey League and, and learn the pro game. And not just necessarily learn a pro game on ice, but just learn what professional hockey is all about in terms of your role in the dressing room and, and how things are done and the, the travel component and going from 42 games to 80. And there's just other things to manage outside of just playing the game. And you make the analogy to Mikey Anderson, and Mikey Anderson might be one of my favorite players of all time. And, but he came through a system where, like I just talked about, it's similar to what Bob did at St. Cloud. This is what Scott Sandlin is doing at Minnesota Duluth. I mean, like he's getting guys that are staying three, four years, and his high-end guys are staying three, four years, and, and then turning pro. And, and because of that, players can develop. So Mikey Anderson kind of got the bonus of what would have been like an American Hockey League type of year in his last year at Minnesota Duluth, especially with all the winning that that program did and all the great players that he was playing against in practice and playing in the NCHC. So 
I, when I look at Saber, I say to myself, another year probably wouldn't hurt him. He's playing in a really good staff. He's playing with a, a program where strength and conditioning is a big deal, and they do a real good job with their student-athletes there. So if he stays an extra year, I think it helps him. But I do think he's going to need to marinate in the American Hockey League just to learn the how frenetic pro hockey can be before he settles into the NHL. Yeah, it's a it's a big step going from the college season into you know the pro game, let alone into the NHL, which is even more games and more travel um, than in the American Hockey League. Uh, I remember Derek Forbert be, sort of being in a similar position back at North Dakota and the Kings management at the time talking about, look, we'd love to get him to come out. Uh, that'd be fantastic for the organization. Yet at the same time, he's had a great program. We feel completely comfortable with where he is and how that extra year is gonna is gonna play out there. It certainly didn't hurt Mikey uh, to stick around a little bit longer. Won another national championship along the way and. Uh, before we move on to some other players, though, staying with Minnesota, as Craig Johnson, uh, Ryan's dad, of course, former L.A. King forward, is the assistant coach in the AHL, uh, I have to ask you about Johnson. Just uh, any thoughts on him? He's not a King's property, uh, but he's there at Minnesota and a big part of not only Brock Faber, but also a big part of just the Minnesota defense. Boy, when you talk about elite skaters, <laughs> holy smokes, can, can this kid go? I, I love the way he can get up the ice. I love the way he distributes the puck. He, He's the kind of player that I think his vision processes really quickly. And, I, you know, we, we talk about the, the human brain not being fully developed till 25. Like, I think his hockey brain is ahead of schedule. He, he's got a great ability just to process under pressure. And one thing that coaches want players to do, especially their defensemen, is when they're coming out of their own end or when they pick up a puck in the neutral zone, is attack the next layer. Attack until you have to make a play. And, He's got a nice ability to decide that when he gets into that spot where he is attacked, can he break the ankles of the player in front of him and get around him? Or does he need to move the puck and keep going? Like, I just, I love the way he processes the game. He's got a big time shot and he's got a really, he's really gifted with, you know, as an offensive stick. I, I love the way the kid plays. I think he's another really good example of what's become the modern defenseman. Yeah, I think that those that are sleeping on college hockey, and I don't have to sell you on this because I think you're out there every day uh, on Twitter, you know, stumping for this. And that is that if you're sleeping on college hockey, uh, man, you're really missing out because there is a fantastic pool of players. It's not like it once was where all the best players come through, come up through junior, uh, you know, or even come up through the European leagues for that matter. There's a tremendous amount of talent that's right here in, in the U S at these college programs. Uh, I have a number of guys on my, on my list here that I want to ask you about, but before we get to it, because I know I'm going to start geeking out into some of the prospects and I'm going to forget to ask you. So I'm going to rearrange my questions. Steven Nelson, uh, you've done some work with him, obviously at the world juniors. I need, I need a good, funny, uh, Steven Nelson story before we move on. <laughs> A good, funny Steven Nelson Well, I mean, story. just give Let's me see. any story on Nelly. Like, here's the thing. The guy seems like such a pro, yet he's so humble. And, and to me, he doesn't know how good he is. And uh, that's sort of my take on, on, on Steven Nelson. What's, what's your take on him? Oh, no, he – and listen, this guy is a bona fide NHL television play-by-play guy. There is not a doubt in my mind about it. And I, I don't watch the league as much as I used to, but but when, every once in a while when I do, I, there are times I just shake my head when what I'm watching and I say to myself, uh, Stephen Nelson should be doing this job. And yes. I think he's terrific. I'll give you a great one. When we first met, we were we were in Vancouver for the, two, I think it was the 2019 Road Junior Championships. I think that's the first one we did together. And we get up there and we get ready to tape our, you know, rehearse our open. And, you know, Steve is very hip and very kind of the now generation and, and, he starts off and he says, he says something like this is, you know, welcome to BC for the WJC. And says, I felt like I was in a hip hop club and I, I stopped the <laughs> taping and I, I said, okay, hold on a second. And I, you know, I turned the, 
I turned the told, told the cameras, I turned the cameras off and kill our mics. So they do. And I turned to him, I said, dude, this is not MTV Cribs. Said, this is not, this, this is the World Junior Championships on NHL Network. I said, this tournament is revered around the world. I said, so we're, we're going to refer to it as the World Junior Championships. We are in Vancouver, British Columbia. And let's move on from there. And he, he took it really well. Like he was really good with it. And, and from then on in, it was perfect. And I'll, I'll tell you what, he, you know, we, we had a, we had a little bit of a tough start because I didn't think he understood like what this was. I will tell you this, nobody understands the tournament better than he does right now. And he has embraced it and he has, I mean, he's been really good the three years we worked together and this will be year four when we kind of resume this thing. But you know, I told Nelly, I said, I will do any game, any tournament and anything with you by my side because I think you are an absolute pro, but I will never forget that first night in Vancouver. I love it. Throw him out of, throw him out of the press box. I'm like, what, what are you saying? <laughs> I, I can't. I can't wait to bring that up to him. Yeah, he he uh, his preparation is just phenomenal. I mean, he will ask Absolutely. me very detailed questions about a prospect that, you know, a King's prospect that's in Europe or this, or a guy who's going to be in the, in the tournament. And, uh, I just, I really enjoy his preparation. We've had him on the podcast a couple of different times, um, to talk about, uh, the world juniors and sort of do it, do, do a preview show, if you will. And, uh, it's been phenomenal. I know he had a couple games there with the Blackhawks this year and whatnot, but, uh, like you, I think that he deserves to be in the NHL and should be calling games. And I look forward to that happening uh, pretty soon. I appreciate that. It's, uh, yeah, he, he's terrific. He's one of, of a couple of play-by-play guys that I've worked with. I've been really blessed to have worked with some outstanding play-by-play guys through my time, whether it be with CBS Sports Network or ESPN or the World Juniors, the Big Ten Network, wherever. I mean, wherever I've got radio, Brian Tripp, I'm doing the, the Frozen Four with now. He does Penn State Radio, and he's wonderful. And uh, I've been really, really lucky with play-by-play guys. But right now, Nelly stands out to me as, as a guy, along with Ben Holden, who I really think are NHL-caliber guys. And I I just cannot believe they don't have a full-time job in the league yet. Coming soon, for sure. How, you know, how, uh, just sort of piggybacking on that, how do you prepare? Because one of the things that's so fascinating to me about you is that you, you're you're not like covering a team per se where you get to know very specifically on a night-to-night basis the same group of players, you know, et cetera. Like I'll turn on one game and you're there and then boom, I bounce over to another game a day or two later and you're, you're completely different teams. And I mean, you're everywhere, so... The preparation, I would imagine, has to be even that much more difficult. It's almost like constantly living at the World Juniors, where these 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 rosters are uh, are all new to you, almost on a nightly basis. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, at the beginning, it was a little overwhelming, but my coaching background, I really think, helps here because when I was coaching, especially at the minor league level, I mean, you've got to be ultra prepared. Not only do you have to know your team, but obviously, you have to know the team you're playing, and and you're responsible for you know, however many teams are in your league, like you've got to know all those teams. And even if you know you're not going to see that team for two or three weeks, you still got to be keeping an eye on them a little bit because you want to know what trends are coming at you as you start to round towards them. And obviously you're thinking about trades and, and players moving around as a player get put on waivers and you, you got to know about them. So I, I think the I think the time that I spent in, in professional professionally coaching and the junior level coaching really helped on the preparation on the broadcast side. Now, as you do this year after year after year, you start to get some repeat players and you, and you start to deal with a, a, a section of teams that you're somewhat used to. And, you know, we used to do the entire NCAA back in the old CSTV days. Now with the, with the NCHC deal for the media, it's mostly, you know, the NCHC on CBS sports network, a little bit with the big 10 and, and then the world juniors. So it's, it's solidified itself a little bit into a lesser amount of teams. <laughs> I but, like it a little still, bit. It's still probably what <laughs> 20 plus teams total. Yeah, it could be when you when you look back. If you start thinking about how many teams you have to deal with, it's like players. Like you just think about the next game, and 
so I, I try to always just think about what two teams are in my next game and and but my my prep is pretty extensive like I, I I love to watch a ton of video I like to really get into the you know my version of the analytics I, I don't necessarily go overboard in, in analytic type stuff but I do think that there are numbers that tell stories and lead you into better discussions with coaches and players based on just some of the statistical data that you're you're looking at because there are things that can help tell the story of a player without ever watching them and lead you into some interesting stuff. You, you obviously got to read some clippings here and there to, to keep yourself up to date. It's it's kind of all inclusive, but you you get used to it. And as the year goes on, you're you get a little bit more into the maintenance mode because a lot of your harder background stuff is is kind of in the barn by then. So look, I was going to say this after uh, our, our, our interview is over here, but I'm going to go ahead and say it with you listening. So anybody who is checking this interview out for the first time and hasn't listened to Dave Starman on a college hockey or a world junior broadcast, first of all, shame on you. And second, you need to seek out whatever he's doing and listen to it because you will walk away not only more knowledgeable, but you're going to be entertained along the way. Some of the nuggets that he passes along on the players are, uh, are completely fascinating. So outstanding work to the star man a couple more questions to wrap up maybe you can even give us a funny story uh, or a tidbit as if you were on the broadcast you talked about guys sticking around for a while david rennick the goaltender from st cloud he had the benefit through the pandemic situation of being given a fifth year uh, he had already broken the record and just stuck around for a fifth year at st cloud for games played and minutes played and all that wins and all that sort of stuff so uh you know the jersey might be retired or the name will be on a, on a wall of fame somewhere uh, there at st cloud but Last summer, he's not offered a contract by the LA Kings. He sticks around for a fifth year, and then now he recently signed an entry-level contract. And uh, like I said, he's going to be in the American Hockey League here for the balance of the season. Just give us a quick book. Talk about David Rennick as a goaltender and how he's developed, how his game has changed here over the last five years uh, as a Husky. Well, I'm going to take some credit for David Rennick because myself and Scott Millenby, who was my boss with the Montreal Canadiens uh, a few years back when I scouted for them, we came in and stole Charlie Lindgren a year early and accelerated Rennick's ascent to the net when he was at St. Cloud State. So we'll, we'll take a little credit for, for Rennick and, and his ability to get started much earlier in his career than, than he might have thought of. And Well, I, I like David. He, he has really grown up as a person. He's really matured as a goalie. When he first started there, he was, he was a little unorthodox, a little clunky, and goofier than all hell. And, you know, he's, he's still kind of got the goalie goofiness to him, but he's but he's really matured, and he, and he, I think he sees the game better. I think his game and goal is quieter. I think he's calmer. I think his rebound control has gotten much better. His ability to play the puck has gotten much better. And uh, there's a goalie in Denver right now, Magnus Crona, who last year I thought was very up and down, and this year might have been the best goalie in the in the country, or it, it certainly is in that conversation with what he accomplished. And you know, I thought David Renek was trending in that direction too at times this year, and. Uh, you know, he had some injuries, and I know he had a little bit of the, the health issue, you know, towards the, the late part of the season with, with coming down with the flu bug and pneumonia, and it really knocked him out of being able to play in the tournament. And I think with him playing in the tournament, St. Cloud, we might be talking about St. Cloud playing uh, tomorrow night as opposed to somebody else. And I agree. I, I just, I, I really like, and that's no disrespect to the two teams playing. I mean, they yeah. earned their way here, but yeah, for sure. St. Cloud in the mix with Reddick healthy. I mean, that could have been a whole different ballgame for him. And, and I just, I just think he's going to have an ability or an opportunity to become a real, at the very least, a real good number two at the NHL level. I think he can continue to make that ascent up the up the ladder to the point where he marinates in the American League and and he gets his work done and and gets a chance at the NHL level and figures things out. Like I I look at him and I look at Charlie Lindgren and I see guys that are very very similar in their talent. I see very similar in their in their ability. I I'm not going to sit here and say he's an NHL one. I don't think he is, but he, he's definitely a two. He reminds me a lot of Ty Conklin. 
that would be the best comparison I could probably give you. Starman, you keep, uh, I'm trying to wrap this interview up out of respect for your time, but you keep saying these things that I then want to talk to you about. You mentioned Krona there from Denver. (laughs) The dude's 6'5 out of Sweden, and uh, I believe Tampa Bay drafted him as a late draft pick. So the last thing Tampa needs is another good goaltender. So, uh, yeah, and by the way, Krona has the, Magnus Krona, the best name in college hockey, I think, right now. Do, Do you have a better name than that? Uh, that is a great name. I'm not. I, I'm trying to think of who drafted. I, he might have been. Was he a San Jose draft and got traded to Tampa? Was he a Tampa draft and got traded to San Jose? I can't remember which which one it is, but I think his rights got dealt at some point. And and but he does have a great name. I'll tell you what. Like last year, I I always liked him as a goalie, but I thought last year he let in a boat a boat full of leakers that doomed Denver. And like I thought about the first three games that Denver played in the pod, and I did a lot of those games and. And they should have been three and zero, and they were zero and three. And, I, and the reason they were zero and three is because they kept giving up a bad goal at a bad time. And this year, Ryan Massa, who was the goalie at Nebraska Omaha, took them to the Frozen Four a few years back. Uh, actually, right here in Boston, uh, Ryan came on as the goalie coach this year for Denver, and you could see the impact that Ryan has had on Magnus Crona. Like uh, Crona is now a legit NHL prospect. I mean, he is big time right now, and and I, it's it's amazing what one good goalie coach can do with a player who's got the skill, you know, similar to what Redick had in, in St. Cloud State. I mean, you got one guy that can just figure you out and build a relationship with you, you can turn you into a goalie. And, and Magnus Cronin, to me, right now, is is going to be – he's going to play in the NHL and he's going to play well there because of what he's been able to do with, with his style and how he plays. Okay, this is going to be the last question. I'm going to let you off the hook here. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. But I, I can't let oh, you, you I can't let you run without talking about Alex Turcott, especially because uh, you, you know you were you were tight with Alfie there. You guys were together in Baltimore back in the early '90s, I believe. So uh, just talk about you know maybe a good story with Alfie or uh, what can you share from a scouting report standpoint. Alex is hurt right now, but uh, still as a fifth overall draft pick, he is among the top three, four of the Kings' deep prospect pool, and. Uh, there, you know, big things are expected of Alex Turcott here in Los Angeles in the years to come. I'll tell you what, Alex to me is Alfie with muscle. Is is, is I mean, they're very similar players. Alfie was God was he good? I mean, he could skate, he could slip into traffic, he could slash into a hard area. He, he had a great offensive stick. Could he ever score? And and his stick handling was just unreal. I mean, some of the stuff you watch him do in practice, so you just you just stand there and marvel. And like Joel Quenville was his, in his last year as a pro player uh and one of the years that Alfie was in Baltimore I think it was Alfie's last year in Baltimore like every time Joel would just say I can have to leave what this guy can do with a puck on a stick and I look at Alex and you know Alex is very similar I think he's really gifted offensively he Alex probably has a little bit more straight ahead like lead with your nose drive than Alfie did I I wouldn't say Alfie was tough Alex is probably a little bit tougher than Alfie was he doesn't want to play in in hard areas you know he'll play in the soup in front of the net and you know, he'll get involved in battles and he'll win battles and he'll stay above pucks and win them and, you know, win his share of the 50-50s. But I think he's offensively creative enough to, to make plays at the pro level and, and he can score from distance. He's got a got a great release and I, it's just his ability to get a puck into an area where he can release it with a good lane to the net, I find to be just an absolute gift. And I'm really looking forward to, to him being healthy and him getting a full season as an NHL player. I do think that he can give a team depth. I think he can play up in the lineup when he needs to. And I, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to watching his pro career get going. 
All right, Starman. Outstanding first appearance here on the podcast. Now you and Nelly are going to have to do a rock, paper, scissors of who's going to come on and do the World Junior Preview with us. But I'll leave you with this. Nelly and I have a standing uh, a dinner date for the World Juniors coming up in August, maybe have an adult beverage or so. I say you just join us. We'll stick him with the bill. The three of us will have a great night talking hockey. Oh, listen, if, if, if that's be the first check you ever picked up, so, I mean, that'd be beautiful. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. There you go. Dave Starman. Dave, outstanding. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on anytime. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the mayor. His cohort in uh, Stephen Nelson on the program a number of times during the World Junior Hockey Championships. And we certainly hope to uh, have Nelly on again in the future. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't get the gig in Chicago. But I'm hearing, Dennis, there are going to be a couple of play-by-play jobs available in the NHL over the summer. Uh, So maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, that dude can get uh, get, can get hooked up with one of those teams because, of course, you know we love Steven Nelson. But Starman was awesome. Gave us some great perspective. But, DB, here's the thing. It's time for us to play our own version of Frozen 4. Okay, you ready? Okay. Yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to do this. And it's all based upon the playoffs. So I have four categories, and we're going to get it down to one winner. So on the left side of the bracket, first up, here's the question. Mm -hmm. Going into the playoffs, assuming the Kings make the playoffs, going into the playoffs, are you more concerned with the Kings offense or the Kings defense? Offense. You're more concerned with the offense. Yeah, they're 22nd in scoring in the league. So and the power play. And all of my friends on Twitter keep asking me to tell Todd McClellan that a minute 30 into the power play, they're still not doing anything. Look, John, they have one player in the roster that they put out on the power play who has more than 21 power play goals a lifetime. So to me, yeah, I'm more concerned with the offense. But if you're playing three, two games in the postseason, you can get away with it. And to me, if it's going to be Edmonton, that's the most intriguing matchup, John, because they're such different teams. They're totally different ends of the spectrum. So to me, yeah, I'm, I'm far more worried about um, I'm worried about the third or fourth or the bottom six producing. You know, that to mm. me, that's that's the biggest concern, because if you're going to win the postseason, you're going to need a little bit of contribution from the bottom six. And they're not getting it right now. So for me, it's offense. What about you? Well, I went. It's a great question because I went back and forth on this for the, some of the reasons that you were just mentioning. I've been on the offense you know, topic here for quite some time and banging that drum on Twitter and in other places. They need more offense. They need more offense. I'm looking for them to get more offense over the summer. Yes, everybody knows, uh, you know, that they need more offense, but I start looking at, okay, they need more offense from the blue line as well as need more offense from the bottom six. Okay, well, what if Dowdy comes back? They're going to get a little more offense there potentially from the blue line. Okay, but then I started going to the defensive side of things because 
if they are playing Edmonton, they're playing a, a shootout team, right? And I'm going, look, they don't have the offense to win games 6-5. So even if I was to think, well, they need more offense and that's what I'm worried about, I started to lean on the defense and going, you know what? I might be more worried about the defense heading into the playoffs because they have to be able to control Edmonton, who mm-hmm. is most likely going to be their first-round opponent. Again, if they yeah. qualify for the postseason, that's the way that things are shaping up. Uh you're going to have to play solid defense. So then I start looking over the defensive group and I say, okay, well, Dowdy's going to be coming back for an injury potentially. Mikey Anderson's going to be coming back from right. an injury potentially. Matt Roy is just now back. Edler was in. He was out. We have questions there. Um, you have the kids who don't have the experience. I started to worry a little bit more about the defense. So for the sake of fun radio and fu- a fun podcast, I'm yeah. going to go defense on this one. So on my bracket, I'm moving defense along. You're moving offense along. Okay. On the other side of the bracket, this is a front, a very fun frozen four. We should do this more often. It's a brand new segment. Brilliant. Um, and we'll do okay. numerology. We'll work that into it also, which, you know, player <laughs> numbers are your favorites. Uh, we should do a whole segment, by the way, Dennis, because uh, Kim Noisenin is going to make his debut yes. with the Ontario Reign tonight, wearing that, number yeah. 10. And while I was preparing that tweet, I was thinking about hmm, famous 10s for the L.A. Kings. And that got me down a whole uh, a rabbit hole as well. Warren Reichel, former guest of the program, uh, was one of those number 10s. Anyway, uh, on the right hand side, this is a big one, Dennis. Are you more worried about the goaltending of the L.A. Kings heading into the postseason or are you more worried about the power play? Well, I know the power plays are going to produce, so I'm more worried about the goaltending. I, I think. <laughs> so you're giving up already that easily? You just yeah. said the power play's done. You're not yeah, even going to yeah, worry about it. You got to fix it. You can't, John. You can't fix it. Word game seventy three. You can't fix it now. Like these. I didn't say fix there. it. I said, what are you worried about? No, because I know it, it's. I know what you're going to get from it. I'm not sure what you're going to get from goaltending. Like, like, like last night, Mike Smith made big saves in a big spot to win that game. I'm not saying quick lost the game. But to me, what this is ha- what's, what's happened with this team is that, like Cal Peterson, he's won games, but he hasn't stolen games. Like I need to see one or two steals, and I haven't seen that from this, these goaltenders this year. So to me, if they're going to win that series, they're going to have to stop Connor on a breakaway or Leon on a two-on-one. So to me, my bigger concern is can they perform or make the big save in a big spot to win games? So because I'm not expecting anything. I've managed my expectations, your favorite phrase, with respect to the power play. They're not winning it with their power play. They're going to win it with goaltending. So to me, that's the concern. Do they have the ability to make a big spot and a big, uh, big save in a big spot? Well, here's the thing, Dennis. I was trying to bait you to take the uh, take the power play so that we could be on opposite sides here. Uh, because once again, I thought about these two things. I thought about it a little bit differently, though. Um, I didn't I didn't give up quite as quick as you did on the power play. I was instead thinking, um, okay, how important is the power play once you get into the playoffs and the type of penalties that are taken, yeah. et cetera, you know, and. Um, there are fewer power plays because they kind of let things go a little bit more. Okay. Well, when you get one, it is rare, but so you need to be able to convert on it because you're not getting your offense in other places. And I already said that I wasn't worried about the offense. I was more worried about the defense Mm -hmm. on the other side. So I started really looking at the power play and weighing that direction. And then I came back to goaltending and it's funny because, uh, I don't want to say that you stole the words right out of my mouth, but it kind of feels that way because I, a couple of radio programs recently, Dennis, people have asked, um, hey, who's the starting goaltender going to become the playoffs? Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember exactly what station I apologize. It was like Sportsnet or TSN, whatever it was. A couple of weeks ago, I said, oh, well, at, you know, I think it's going to be Jonathan Quick. And then just as recently as over the weekend, I said when asked the same question, well, no, it's probably going to be Cal Peterson because 
Todd went to Cal for the third game in a row. Right. And I said, okay, right. he's starting. And if you look at Cal's numbers since January 1st, they're, you know, pretty impressive compared to where they were earlier in the year. And his game seems to be rounding into shape, et cetera. And so I said, okay, well, maybe it's going to be Cal Peterson. But you know what the issue is? It's exactly what you said. Nobody has risen up and started to really steal games. They're playing well enough to win games. Right. And back to the point from earlier, they're playing up to the level of competition. Some nights you see them play really well. Some nights, you know, not so well, but the team still gets a win or whatever. So I want to see them steal some games, though. I want to sure. see an electric 45 save performance, you know, vintage Jonathan Quick 2012, where you just go, this game can go big. It, it could be a one nothing game. You know, if the yeah. Kings get a goal seven minutes into the first period, you go, this game's over. Like yeah. this goalie's he's locked in tonight. He's going to lock it down. Well, so I think, yeah, I think I don't know. I don't know, DB. I don't know who the starter is. Here's the thing, and I agree. But here's the thing, John. If they play that to their identity, which is what checking and puck possession, they they're not going to get a 45 shot game yeah. against them. That's the other thing. Like you need them to make either goalie to make us a, a two or three big saves on 25 shots. And they're not That's even fair. getting that. And John, like at game 73, you don't know who the starter is. We could have a conversation and we don't know. We really don't know. <laughs> Dennis, is that a good I don't thing know. Right. I literally do not know. I, I, I could agree. argue either side of the coin for an hour of who the starter is going to be in game one. And when I asked Todd about why he went with um, Cal the third game in a row, he said thing. He said, win, win, win. He didn't talk about save percentages, high danger chance or anything. He said he was winning games. And he is. His record's clearly better, but... I can't tell you that in a game one playoff, why wouldn't you go to Jonathan Quick, right? I mean, or as the baton been passed already? I, I don't know, so I agree with you. And, I, and that's why I'm not sure. And you'd like to say, hey, without question, this is going to be the guy. But with nine games left, John, I'll ask you, do you think either guy could build the body of work to say he's unquestionably the starter in game 83? I don't think so. Here's the other thing, though, DB. When I look at the, when I look at the schedule and I look at the way that it lays up, I'm not sure that we're going to have any indication of who the starting goaltender is going to be because, for example, if he plays Cal Peterson in more of the games that are remaining, yep. is he really just trying to rest Jonathan Quick for game one <laughs> and make sure that he's fresh? I'm being honest, Dennis. Yeah, no, it's legit. It's a legit if, if, if Cal starts, If Cal starts 70% of the games, is that because Cal is trying to get the reps in to get him ready? Or is it because Quickie's resting? Again, I could argue either side of the coin. I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so pick your starter. I have my starter for game one. Pick yours. <laughs> I'll pick Cal Peterson. Oh, Dennis, I hate you right now. I pick Cal Peterson too, <laughs> and, but I have a reason. There's Go no ahead. way we have the same reason. Go, Go ahead, ahead. Give me the reason. Um, he's winning more games. He's won more games for this team. Okay, my reason is different. Thankfully, right. we have a different. Yes. The radio, this is a way better program when we disagree and when we argue. So, of course. Um, Although we're probably not as arguing as much as we need to right now, but I, I have it for a different reason. And here's my reasoning. Jonathan Quick is one of the most competitive athletes that you will ever find, period. It's proven. You start Cal Peterson for game one because if something goes wrong and Cal yeah. is not ready for the moment, Quick can come in mm -hmm. and he can finish out the series and he yeah. can do it for you. Now think about it in reverse. If Jonathan Quick starts game one and doesn't, get the job done, whether it's game one or three games in, whatever, if Quickie's not getting it done and you go to Cal Peterson, mm -hmm. you're putting a tremendous amount of pressure. And I get it. He's the goalie of the future and you should be able to handle it. He's a pro. I know all of the other excuses, but why do that to yourself? Because you have two choices, right? Why put yourself in that position when you don't have to, when the reverse of going yeah. Cal first, quick second, 
it's available to you. You can do that. So do that. And then you don't have to put that extra pressure on a Cal Peterson to try to come in and save the series and save the season and get them out of round one. And I also, I don't know, I'm stuck in 1993 right now. Also the magical sure. run on the way to the Stanley cup final. Not that this team is going to do it, but Rob Stauber was the starter until he fumbled. And when he did, mm. Kelly Rudy came in and wrote yeah. it out the rest of the way. And that's the parallel that I'm drawing here. Yeah. It, it's legit. It's just that with me, like I want pressure on Cal Peterson. He's going to make $5 million next year. Like this is it. He's had the whole season to get ready. And he's John, he's had time to know that he is going to probably play a game 83 now for mm -hmm. a couple of months. Mm -hmm. so this is not a surprise. It's not getting in at the last minute. This is not like a football team winning three games at the end of the season. All of a sudden you're starting quarterbacks got to win playoff games. This is something that has been, they anointed him with the contract. They've been in player position the entire season. Let's go. If he's the guy, let's go. But I, I get your theory because yeah, if you do, and it just John also depends how you lose that game one. If you do lose it, if it's five, one and you're bad then yeah, I got no problem moving on. If it's 3-2 and you lost in an overtime spectacular goal by Leon O'Connor, maybe you go back to him and you go 2-2 two and two, like they've been doing a lot, like Todd's been doing a lot. But, yeah, I, I get your theory about doing it that way because, yes, to your point, you would have a super motivated Jonathan Quick in game two. All right, DB. It's been a fascinating podcast. We've we've bounced around a little bit. We've talked a little bit of podcast. A little, I mean, excuse me, a little bit of podcast. We've talked a little bit of LA Kings. We've talked a little bit of little 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 bit of Anaheim Ducks. We've talked a little bit of college prospects. We've talked AHL. Uh, we have a lot of guys making debuts down there uh, recently yep. as well. Beyond Noisen, and we've had Andre Lee. We didn't even get into that. We also had Hellenius. Boy, what a wrecking ball he is! That's fantastic to see him over here in North America. You have to be excited about that if you're a Kings fan. Uh, check out the Ontario Reign. They are also battling for a playoff uh, position. They've already qualified for the playoffs, and uh, they're playing Stockton this weekend for two games. Then, of course, their big rival, the San Diego Goals. But, DB, let's leave. Uh, I guess you have a couple of additional comments about – you oh, referred yeah. to them as your friends on Twitter earlier, yeah, which Twitter. I thought was great. So so what's on your mind? Well, I have a really nice touching story. One of our followers um, off the post 18, Travis, I think you might know him. He, he always comes by, says hello. Travis and family are moving to – Iowa. And so uh, he actually asked if the last game against Edmonton, if PJ, my wife was going to be there because he, he wanted me to give her, we wanted to give her personally, you know, the Kings chains that they have with the yes. big logo. Yes. So, so Travis was nice enough to give me his chain departing because I guess he's going to be a, a, a Iowa wild fan, or maybe, a, I don't know what team he's going to root for, but he just came by wanted to make sure that PJ got the, uh, the, the big chain. I put it on for a second. I didn't want any photographs of me wearing the big chain, lest me being uh, accused of being a homer. So it was really, really nice of, of Travis to come by and say uh, hi. And uh, he, John, he tried to convince me as a going away person to go to Ontario. And I told him that third, I took I thought about it for 30 seconds, which is 29 seconds longer than I would normally think to say no. But I said, look, I got to stay in character. I'm a heel. Bad guys, you know, bad guys last. So I said, Travis, I'd love to, but I just can't make that happen because it's it's um, it's to my brand. So, so okay. that, that's the good story. Now, oh we boy. have there's more. Have, there's more. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we have a, you know some closing comments here. We have this fact and it's probably like six guys on Twitter who can't stand me, but yet follow me. And that's my favorite. Like, you follow don't me and like then, me, then why are you following me? And then ask me questions after every game. And now Only I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. Yeah. And yes. And now I'm going to call out these two donkeys right now. Oh, one oh, guy. Here we go. Yeah. One guy is King Me 1214. 
Okay. Which of course these guys are anonymous. You would never okay. know who they are or what they are. Okay. Right. And so and he asked me after hates my takes, hates me, but asked me a question after every game. But the real donkey, the number one donkey of this episode is this guy, KRC12, who accused me of not asking tough questions to Todd because I'm sucking at the teat, whatever that means. Right. <laughs> you don't this know what is, that means. I'll tell you. Off yeah, I know what it means. Right. <laughs> but of all the all the media, I'm the last one to do that. Right. So this guy asked, is accusing me of not being tough enough when he's sitting behind a keyboard anonymously as a coward telling me this. Yeah. So that's my takeaway is that it, you think you're tough guys, but you're really not like you're, you're way soft and way softer than I ever have. And so to me, that's my answer to these guys. So keep following us, keep clicking on the stuff, keep helping us make money on this podcast by following us, but it doesn't affect anything. Like you, you guys sitting on the couch, drinking a beer in your underwear can't critique John and I, how we do our jobs. You're the last people that are qualified to critique us. Well, so, they can critique though. And please yeah. keep bringing the critiques because it does, it does provide some, some humor, Dennis. Uh, so please do continue to do yeah, that. So, so I say this all in good humor and this just keep following and keep supporting us because we love our angry followers, John. <laughs> it's outstanding. And to those of you that come by and like uh, bring a free pretzel or just walk yes, by so. with a fist bump yes. between the, you know, at the elevators, somebody um, also tweeted me recently. They said, Dennis, uh, or they said, man, I am messed up today, DB. They okay. said, uh, Dennis, or no, they said, John, who am I? They said, the two of you guys always talk about meeting fans between the periods. Wh where are these media elevators? So if you don't know, they're behind section 112, um, which is kind of, if you're facing Char and Ash or whatever that restaurant's yes. called, the Salt old McDonald's. Salt and Char, Salt and thank Char. you. Yeah. It's to the left of that. So that's where the media elevators are. And you can find us there between periods. And you can tell us that we are donkeys or you can give us yeah. a fist bump, whatever. Or you can just stay socially distanced. Whatever works for you. Uh, we enjoy the interactions. We or you can hide you behind your keyboard and tell us or, that we suck. Or you <laughs> that's, can do that. <laughs> that's the best way to do it for, for these brave souls. <laughs> you can do that as well. Uh, DB, here's the thing. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to work. I'm working hard behind the scenes to set up a live Kings of the Podcast recording. That would be fun. For a, a playoff game inside crypto.com arena. So for those of you that have never come by before to say hi, please come please. by. Um, wherever we are, let's 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 set a new record of, of a phenomenal turnout that we get. So yes. please come by. Whether you love us or hate us, we right. don't really care. Just come by and let's uh let's talk LA Kings and let's have a lot of fun. So there you go, Dennis. Another great episode in the books, yeah. outstanding. Uh, good to have you back and uh, it'll be fun here over the final 10 games or so that's a wrap on this episode have a good one everybody